Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Marco? Sean? I, uh, I pretend that I have friends sometimes. Yeah? Are yes. they virtual? Do you actually meet yeah. with them? I, I get to meet with them virtually. And uh, sometimes, yeah, I'm not going to go there. Anyway, I have, I have, I do have friends sometimes. And uh, thankfully, uh, they are friends that help us all protect ourselves in this crazy world of technology in some form or another, either by supporting businesses with inside businesses, helping them uh, protect themselves or advising organizations, helping the next generation be part of this crazy community we all call cybersecurity or infosec or whatever we want to call it. And uh, I think we're all a little crazy. I certainly am. I know you are, Marco. <laughs> I, I don't even know what I'm doing here because they're like talking about cybersecurity expert and then there's me, which I talk about other <laughs> things. Right. But, somehow, but somehow, somehow I'm involved into this. I know every single person it. here that uh, is on... Uh, this gathering and uh, we were talking before start recording how we used to have this tradition to get a bunch of friends together people being on the show or their host and uh, around the holiday or sometimes being around um, St. Patrick uh, Halloween we've done that but lately we haven't done it so we want to put together two things the get together finish the year beginning the year and uh, and that thing that everybody's asking us to do prediction for the next year, which is we kind of tomorrow. weird. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Which we we've had this conversation a couple of times with uh, Matthew Rosenquist, and uh, so we can kind of blame him for the topic, and uh, we'll blame each other, Marco, for uh, don't make me go there. Wanting wanting to bring our friends together. Um, for those watching, you already know that there are a bunch of people joining us. If you're listening, you're probably like, "What the hell is Marco and Sean on about?" So we're going to pass the mic to our guests today. We'll do a quick round of introductions so you know who's on. If you're listening, pay attention to the voice so you can hear them again and know who's who's saying what. And, uh, of course, watch the video so you can actually see our, our smiling faces that, who knows, maybe there'll be tears when we figure out what's going to happen this, to us next year. <laughs> Hopefully not. Anyway, uh, I'll start with you, Kat. A few words about who you are. Sure. My name is Kat Self. I work at the MITRE Foundation, which is an FRDC-funded nonprofit. And uh, for those of you that are familiar with MITRE Attack, I'm the Mac OS and Linux lead for that those platforms for MITRE Attack. And on the nice thing about MITRE is that you have two 
two roles or a couple of them. And then the other side of the house, I do um, adversary emulation engineering. And so recreating bad guys malware so we can start defending against it. Love it. Yolanda. Hello, I'm Yolanda Reed. I'm glad to be back. I think I first start talking to you guys because I was a govy that liked to talk and you you weren't <laughs> very familiar with that. But I'm not government anymore. I, I'm at IBM right now working on a cybersecurity team um, doing traditional cyber as well as consulting and also looking at the microelectronics problem. How do we um, take care of the chips problem and how do we do it securely. So I'm just having fun and enjoying where technology leads us. Exactly. Yep. And I have to thank you. And I know it's, we're, we're okay dealing with the process of getting approval from, from government entities <laughs> that folks can join us, but, but it's not always fun for the individual. And I know you, you had to jump through some hoops and we appreciate yes. you doing that so we can include government as part of our conversations, even though you're now private sector, but anyway. Thanks for joining us and you as well, Kat. Matthew. Uh, Matthew Rosenquist. I'm a CISO cybersecurity advisor to businesses, governments, and academia around the world. I've been in this field for, I think this is my 35th year now. So uh, I'm out there speaking, doing predictions, trying to fix what is broken. And my biggest interest is what's going to happen tomorrow. Yesterday is kind of boring because we suffer for it for today. But if we can see what's going to happen or have a some understanding of what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day, it gives us an opportunity to get ahead in this game finally and try and get ahead of the attacks, be a little bit more efficient and effective. So that's what I'm here to do. Perfect. Your 35 years explains my my gray hair. Thanks for that. <laughs> good, to have, good to have you here, of course, Matthew. I, I joke, of course. Laura? Oh, hi. It's uh, nice to meet new faces on this uh, podcast. And thanks for having me back, Sean and Marco. Uh, I'm based up in Canada, and I work for a boutique firm called White Tuke. And uh, I've been spending the last two, three years consulting. Prior to that, I worked in large enterprise and did a whole bunch of things that uh, uh, gave me a lot of great background and experience. So almost 20 years Matthew, I'm jealous that uh, you still have as much hair and it's all pretty, it looks really brown. Um, <laughs> after 35 years, I'm impressed. Uh, and uh, anyway, it's it's a lot of fun. I keynoted at Sector this year as well, which was uh, the instigator for Sean and Marco to uh, uh, have me on the podcast before. Absolutely. This was the topic you uh, you presented on. So we're, we're excited to have you on. And Rob. Um, at least I say about hair and colour and availability of hair, probably the better. Um, <laughs> hi everyone, I'm Rob Black. Um, I'm director of the UK Sub-912 Strategy Challenge. Um, I'm a lecturer in information activities where I help the British military think about integrating cyber into military operations. Um, and I work with our foreign office, our state department, thinking about what does acting responsibly in cyberspace mean with regards to how states should act, how other entities should act and how to encourage responsible behaviors. Um, I probably do a few other things, but that's more than enough. Otherwise, I'll end up in trouble with lots more work than I need. Right on. Uh, you keep up with it all. And we had the pleasure of meeting in London at InfoSec Absolutely. Uh, Europe, which was a, a pleasure and a treat. So glad to have you on. Certainly. Well, thanks for having me back. Yeah, fun, fun stuff. Last, certainly not least, Mr. Chuck Brooks. How are you? Great, doing great. Uh, I'm Chuck Brooks. I'm, I'm a former GovU too. A long time ago, and uh, currently I run my own consulting firm and 
and speak at numerous conferences where you often encounter Matthew, <laughs> depending what country. And um, then I also uh, teach at, at Georgetown University uh, Cybersecurity Security Risk Management Program. And I teach a course called Disruptive Technologies and Organizational Management, which is a lot of fun, which goes into some of the topics of, of predictions. So I'm looking forward to uh, the banter on this uh, podcast and, and, uh, and seeing a, a lot of good colleagues with it. Very cool. Do I need to say who I am? I don't want. I don't want to say who I am. I hope people on the show know who I am and how I do not belong here. But I am driven by a lot of curiosity. I have learned almost everything I know about cybersecurity by doing podcasts and talking with people way much more smarter and knowledgeable than me. So I'm here to really. Uh, pick uh, pick your brain with Sean and uh, and see what you think about the future, which of course I, I want to just say this is it's cybersecurity, but we're not in a silos. I think almost everybody everybody here will agree with me, and it affects society in every single aspect. So if I'm gonna drop in there a couple of question or comment about uh, things that are not strictly cybersecurity, I think uh, it will be a good conversation to to have. So. Uh, I think it's time for the I don't know the tin foil hat or the crystal ball and Sean. Let's <laughs> let's get this party started. I know. Uh, is somebody burning to share? Well, let's set the stage. We're, we're looking at 2024 and beyond. So, anything that can happen in the next few years that we think will be beneficial to the role, beneficial to the program beneficial to society or the reverse, right? The dystopian view of where we might end up if we don't get things right. Uh, anything's fair game here. So anybody have a burning burning idea that, that uh, they wanna share? Well, you gotta start with AI, right? I mean, that's the, the <laughs> big issue on everyone's mind. It's gonna take over the world. He already uh, went there. Can you believe? Uh, can you believe? He's <laughs> in the first minute, at first that's ten seconds, because he, he prompted his list of predictions, and that was the first thing that came. <laughs> I was going to uh, start off easy and be like, "Cyber's not going away in 24." <laughs> <laughs> we, we heard that for a few years. Pitch. What is that? <laughs> so when I was actually preparing for this interview, I was like. How how can I answer these questions that they're going to ask me, right? Like, what's the psychic answer that, like, to that I'm hard and witty and everyone actually respects me, right? So I went to perplexity and I typed in, what are the cybersecurity trends for 2024? <laughs> <laughs> hey, GPT. <laughs> and I was like, well, what are the cybersecurity trend trends for 2023? And I'm like... There's no difference, guys. Right. <laughs> I asked that question. I bet nothing, Astrid... nothing on any of either of those lists made no. you go, wow, I didn't well, think of that. <laughs> well, I think in, in 2024, you'll see that every cybersecurity vendor has AI. And I think we're starting to see that already. Yeah, it's we're required sensing. now, right? <laughs> it's it's five years now, fly. they all had AI somewhere in there. Yeah. <laughs> if well, it wasn't AI, it was machine learning um, yeah. or quantum ready or. <laughs> Yeah. You know what's okay, funny? Right. I, I asked that question, and the answer was me. That's what the chat GPT said, like, me. 
Well, is this that where we have to admit we actually filmed this in 2022 and we just changed the date for 2024 when we release it? <laughs> well, I, I think you have to agree that generative AI is sort of taking a leap um, just because everyone's using it now. And it's fun to do and yeah. create havoc. Unfortunately, a lot of the, the bad guys are using it too, but it is, it is transformative. It's a question of, you know, it's, it's not magical. It's just, you know, databases and synthesizing data, but you know, it's, it's a real factor now. So I think, uh, uh, we're going to see more and more of that. Yeah. Go ahead, Yolanda. Yeah. yeah, I said, I, I think it's interesting that we, we talked about business, but, you know, um, it affects education. You're, you're a teacher, a professor, and now it's like we're raising kids that have it on their phones, the free version at least, and, you know, um, writing papers or doing resumes or doing interviews and or proposals, all that, you know, people are using. So I think it is changing um, how we interact. And then um, also, do we trust it? Do we cite it? I mean, there's a lot of those questions that we're going to have to answer um, starting in 24, because we haven't solved them in 23. So we got to push to the 24. Yeah, well, I'm excited about it. And and kind of to build on what Chuck was saying, it is relevant. And because everybody's adopting it, people see dollar signs, which means there's a huge influx of investment and now innovation. So whenever you have all that money and interest, it just moves at breakneck speed. And at least from a cybersecurity perspective, right, we're all, we're, we're responsive. When bad things happen, then we get invoked. If bad things are happening, why would you spend money on security? So you now have this rapid adoption and innovation cycle that's using AI, specifically generative AI. Uh, and I think we're going to see all sorts of bad uses for it, as well as many, many good uses for it. Uh, but this next year, I think, probably will be the sharpest incline, right? The highest rate of increased adoption and crazy things that we couldn't even think of coming into play that we have to adapt to. Does anybody know, so is, it, is this on, maybe, Rob, you have this, uh, this perspective. Do we, will this be successful and widely adopted because of public data has been trained on or will we see private data sets being used to change the way we've done things in the past, be it for business, be it for security programs, be it for how we audit and monitor and ensure compliance. Rob, what do you think? I, I guess the answer is hopefully both, if they're going to take the technology accurately. I guess for me, the really interesting thing, whether it's 2024, um, this brings Marco's perspective in. I, I think AI is going to lead to a real shift in society just in terms of how relationships are created. And I remember when we chatted in our podcast, we talked about, you know, I don't think it's the AI killer robots I'm worried about. It's the AI sex robots that scare me because I could see the collapse of society with the reproduction rate dropping off because people make friends with AI robots. Why wouldn't you pick a more attractive, more intelligent, more AI character than, than your partner who snores, never does the washing, never buys you the Christmas present you want? You know, in society, you're going to pick the AI option every time. And that is across the board. I think that's already happening in Japan. At least I was reading an article saying that it's a real problem. People are so in, enveloped in their, uh, their gaming and their, their digital lives that there's not much socialization. And, uh, you know, of course, the birth rate marriages are dropping off. What's the definition uh, okay. of socialization? Because I've seen there was a, a segment here in, in New York where I think it was New York State is buying uh, 
AI enabled assistance to uh, give com uh, companionship to elderly citizens that don't have family anymore. So that's, I don't know, that's a, that's a connection, right? That, that maybe Absolutely. helps them I, I feel better and live longer. I don't know. I don't think it takes long before it filters across and into other pockets of communities where, yeah, we already talked about the loneliness epidemic as it is already. Now I throw in AI characters, personas who can deliver everything you need. Why would you need to reconnect with the rest of humanity? I, I think it's a serious consideration that we need to work out how we uh, manage that. Yeah, I, I think we need to look at positive things. Yeah, I always have to bring the joy and the cheer to a Christmas party, but there we go. I'll start with that one. So, count <laughs> on you, Rob. I don't know about you, but I like when Alexa tells me good night. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. You're a security professional and you have Alexa listening in to your, your conversations at home. And, and I, I tell people, yeah. I turn tell that cybersecurity card in. You don't get to hold that anymore. No. I, I tell people, you got to be smart where you put it, right? It, it cannot be everywhere, but they're, you know, you know, in my kitchen, I don't care if she hears how many eggs I, I put in my recipe. So it's in your bedroom, though, is what you just said. Good night, Yolanda. <laughs> I'm tracking your heart rate right now. You're breathing. And how many people have been in it? out of your room um yes <laughs> to rob's point i actually think there's something to be said for the communities around any technology like right now for example if you actually look at all of the black markets and malware as a service and ransomware i mean all of those usually come from really unstable environments they to give you an example actually there was a developer for trickbot and the only reason why she started developing for TrickBot was because she couldn't find an actual programming job in our country. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's always going to come back to the community that if people actually have decent jobs that pay them living wages, like there's not as much motivation to potentially go to jail for other work, right? Well, be careful though, right? We've got very affluent communities and, and you know, there's lots of studies on just criminals. Don't even think about cyber criminals and the greed factor. Right. It's simply easier. Right. I want to live way above my means. Sure, I could get a job, but I could make millions doing something else. Um, so, you know, it's it's not necessarily just that. Yes, I, I agree with you. There are some aspects if you can't find a job, if you're desperate. We see that, especially in impoverished nations that are just coming online. Right. Um, you know, most people in this world earn less than 20 dollars a day. So when you get an environment like that and you put them online and, you know, they have a choice, earn less than $20 a day or go into cybercrime and you may earn five times that amount. Well, they need to literally put food on the table, right? Afford education for their children, basic education. Yeah, it's going to seem pretty attractive. But we also have organized cyber criminals out there that are doing it because they're greedy. And they're going to keep doing it. A greed principle says if they can steal $10 from you today, they're going to come after for $20 from you tomorrow. So there's, I think there's more aspects than just the, in, the, in addition, have a good I economy. think you get organized crime jumping into digital um, because it's much easier, uh, yeah. less risk, and uh, they can hide easier, particularly when they're in, in countries that won't prosecute them. So you're yeah. saying and transfer money easier too, right? It all yeah. becomes digital. Yeah. 
Yeah, they, there's exactly. different risks that come with it too, though. Like, it, like I think if you if you're looking at those who are motivated by the greed and the ability to say like climb climb a ladder, and uh, you end up sort of amassing some sort of a large group of people to actually be in the like the super rich echelons of criminal organizations, right? You have a lot of people and a lot of resources that are reporting into you, but um, cyber has also made it much more difficult to have a handle on that that army that you've put together, right? It's not like, you know, the old days of the mob bosses. And, you know, if uh, Johnny gets out of line, somebody goes and breaks his legs. If Johnny's over on the other side of the world and he decides he doesn't like working for you anymore and he wants to work for somebody else, Johnny's gone. <laughs> I think there's a, a, an important point that that's in Kat's uh, message though. And that's, a lot of these I mean, criminal gangs, the mob, they're funded. Somebody who's already affluent has has the means to do certain things. Somebody who lives in a place that doesn't have the means, doesn't have the support structure, doesn't have an organization they can turn to, now can, with the democratization of technology, democratization of, of AI, can do these things without much investment. It's a bit of time online to learn. The tools are there. The rewards are great. Being in a place where eyes aren't following and, and laws don't uh, laws don't follow either. Uh, it's fairly safe, right? So why not do these things? I think, I think technology has enabled a lot of things to happen that maybe weren't possible before, of course. Are you advocating to be a cyber criminal? Because that sounded a lot like an advertisement. Very much a sales pitch, wasn't it? Ransomware yeah. is a service, free to start, <laughs> make millions. Brought to you by John and Marco. The messenger, I'm just the news. I'm well, isn't isn't that though that parallel economy that we're discussing here? Like you know, the, mm -hmm. the organized crime, as Chuck said, the of course gonna jump on that. They jump on waste management. They jump on other things before. So if there is a way to to work on this, and again, I think we go back to society hasn't changed. The, the technology that allows certain things and the way that we do things, including cybercrime, has changed. So that's that's a lot to think about. What can we do to make it more competitive to make the people come on the on the good side? I'm assuming we're all on the good side here. One other element you have to look at now is a geopolitical change. Uh, a lot of these state actors, especially North Korea, Iran, China, Russia, are, are using this as an instrument of power, uh, going after infrastructure globally around the world without uh, really having any consequences. And I think you're seeing more and more of that uh, because uh, it is it is a weapon, and, and that is exceptionally dangerous. Yeah, I think that's one of the big things. And then Chuck, I know you and I have been talking about this for years, this ramp up, and it's just, it's going to get much, much worse with the amount of money that they're pouring into. I just did a keynote in Helsinki, or not in Helsinki, it was in Montreal, um, about how these aggressive nation states, the four you mentioned particularly, were going after critical infrastructures of countries. And we're seeing that now, right? Look at the healthcare, look at the finance, look, there's all sorts of things that, uh, you know, water treatment plants, all sorts yeah. of things. And that's just going to increase next year. It's going to be twice as bad as it was in 2023, I think. But I think, yeah, I think what's been really interesting what? is well, after you, Landa, sorry. I was going to say, we just had that repeat of water. What last week where, where yeah. you know, nation states got into our water system, but thankfully, <laughs> There was monitoring, so we learned something from from a year ago. 
But I think what's really interesting for me is I think the change in 2024, you know, I think we can all agree that the threats are going to get increase. And, you know, as democratization of technology enables that, and as the geopolitics gets, gets woven in, I think the real significant, so what for 2024 is that this is landing on the CISO's desk much more than it has been in the past. In the past, the CISO was bounded by, this is my problem space, this is my digital domain, and I'm going to stop every bad guy getting in or do my best to. Now the CISO has to be aware of geopolitical trends. They have to be aware of what's happening in this part of the world because they know that might lead to some disruption on their network, no matter where they are in the world. So I think the remit in 2024 of the CISO's responsibility is going to shift again and only increasingly expand. And we're seeing different types of attacks which almost fall outside the scope of the CISO in the traditional mindset. I'm thinking some of the botneck attacks, the sniping attacks, the um, the, the abuse of the large-scale abuse of APIs, which you know, are large organized well, large botnets taking advantage of systems in place which aren't being abused in terms of being attacked and, and broken into, but are being abused in terms of the terms of service. And most of the times, I think that's falling outside the scope of the CISO because the network's working, everything's running properly. But now we're seeing retail organizations saying, this is having a massive impact on our business. We need to do something about it. Oh, who's the person to do something about it? Well, CISO, you do tech, you solve it. And you, know, CISO, you need to know what's going on over here. Look, bring it in. You need to bring that, that, you know, look at threat intelligence. You've got, you're getting CISOs now looking at geopolitical analysts, bring them in, either paying for it externally or bringing in resources and trying to persuade the board that they need those resources. And I think that to me, is going to be the shift in 2024 is having a much more holistic approach to cybersecurity at the board level conversation. It could be a great way of CISO getting authorization for extra funding, extra resource. Fingers crossed, because they could be able to talk about it in the board language a lot more clearly. I, Unfortunately, I CISO is not stop. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I kind of agree with Rob because um, we did have the court, the court case this year about the CISO, and I could see the CISO's role being redefined, especially how it ends. We're still kind of waiting for what is the CISO going to be really responsible for, and what do they have to pay attention to, what do they have to report, and what, you know, there's a lot that's going to come out of that, and so I could see 2024, we redefine the role of the CISO, and also what redefine what resources they need. Does it stop at the CISO? The yeah. CISO role has always evolved, right? And it will continue to evolve as new technology and new regulations and everything come into play. So anybody who thinks it's a static definition has already lost, already lost. <laughs> uh, we have to adapt at the same rate as the attackers and the environment in which we protect so uh, yeah and and we had two cases right we had the solar winds case but we also had the uber case this year where there was yep. a final judgment and both of those are defining and creating a lot of unnecessary fear um among the community uh, but again mostly who think that hey this this is my box this is what i'm going to play in um and part of that is because you're just so busy and i can only do this much so i mean there's we will continue to grow as as a security leadership community, we have to. And I also think that some some places they they had um, IT fulfill those CISO roles, and I think that people are starting to see that it's different. It you know IT and, and cyber is different. You need different. Uh -huh. people. <laughs> so. 
Well, you need the I, soft I skills to do so too, as well as the technical skills. And a lot yes. of IT people just don't have those soft skills. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's kind of where I want to go with this because, I mean, let's be honest the the CISO has the big picture, but only driven by the data that their team is providing them, the data that the team or that the community is providing them in the form of threat intelligence or information sharing groups, ISACs and whatnot. Um, and all of that only matters if you have a view into well, what actually is happening, what's taking place. So Kat, I actually want to go to you because with the emulation work that you do, simulation work that you do, do, do you see a shift or a direction that things are headed this coming year that might catch people off guard? Do you, do you see any trends or, or anomalies that say, you know, the way we're, we're managing programs today might want to rethink that. I think the biggest trend I've seen is with increased bone, like increased visibility, everyone has increased emergencies and misassociates sure. everything. Um, and I think the biggest, like, so, I mean, I'm a specialist on Mac OS and Linux platforms, right? And it's been brutal to get visibility on Linux platforms and reporting like straight up inside of like, like reverse analyst, like a R like reverse. And now I'm like, oh, don't use acronyms cat. Um, a reverse analyst report. They'll literally be like, well, we found the Linux software on one of our servers, but we're going to reverse and describe the Windows version of the same malware. And you're like, are you kidding me right now? I can't put that in attack for Linux. That doesn't help me. Um, and I would say, I mean, this is not probably okay to mm, oh, recordings. Um, with all of the, <laughs> all of we the won't tell anybody. It's okay. <laughs> it's not yeah. public. It's our little um, secret. <laughs> with all of the nation states kind of showing their goods with Ukraine, with all of the activities that are going on and that are now getting a lot of reporting that are getting pushed publicly so we can start having our partners be able to read up on this. A lot of that's been really good for cybersecurity professionals because now we have things that we can now defend against because now there's visibility on that. And I think that's just going to increase over the next year, specifically for like IoT and Linux and Mac OS, which are three, I think, underrepresented platforms and what how they're actually being leveraged, like the networking, the routers. Like I'm really excited for the visibility of that telemetry to come out so we can start truly defending against it. Does truly defending also mean offensive capability? Do we need to, to up that capability and, and consider it more often now that we're dealing with state sponsors? So I, can I jump in? Careful. I think before we worry about offensive, there's so much more we can be doing being much more proactive. So not necessarily tipping the balance into the offensive space. I think we can just really up our game in the defense of our networks. And if you want to mark, I know this is what we were talking about, but you know, the use of deception aggressively to shape their behavior rather than just using deception for threat intelligence, gathering knowledge about the bad guys, making them question everything about our network, making them question if what they've accessed is actually useful information, making them question their own tools, really messing with their heads. And I think for me, that's what we're also seeing. As we talk about more enhanced complex threats, we're seeing the intent side of the threat actors. We're not just looking at threat actors in terms of their TTPs. We're looking at how they're making decisions and we're beginning to exploit that. And for me, I think we're gonna push more into that space, possibly not in 2024, I'd love it to be 2024, but I think it's gonna be 25, 26, when we're gonna start seeing burnable, deployable, deception, deception capabilities going into our networks by us to mess with the heads of the attackers. Because at that point, they can't trust what they're getting. And that means we're back, we're taking advantage again. Are, are we stuck with, I mean, 
Kat, to your point, uh, Linux and Mac, not this, not the standard managed uh, OS and device in most organizations, traditional corporations. One of the things I was thinking about is rail and, and transportation, airways, sea, uh, those types of things. And, and certainly you mentioned water, Yolanda. I'm halfway through a movie where the, the electrical grid gets gets popped. It's not a, not a far-fetched uh, scenario either. But these are using systems and devices and, and sensors and controllers and all kinds of things that aren't Windows and Mac and <laughs> Linux. OT networks, yeah. Yes. Right? OT networks. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't do we, do we get a handle on any of that in 24? I, I think we're still flying by the seat of our pants in that, in those worlds, right? Then forget about space. I mean, I think it'd be nice places. if they had pants on, I think. <laughs> 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 They'd be less vulnerable if they wore, you know, some sort of protection. <laughs> I, I think um, some places and some cities are actually doing a really good job. It's really, do we take the time to invest in it? And I think that as citizens, we can request that, right? So um, I used to give this example of like the electric grid, I would drive by um, a power station, the, the gate would be open. Like, why is that gate open? We That's something that we can request. Like, can you at least close your gate? <laughs> I mean, don't let it be free to the, the rest of the world. So that gate's not open now, of course, but I think that we can um, work with the places that aren't as secure. I think we can do that as citizens of our own community. Well, I OT predict we have the, hugely... the Brady Bunch right now. <laughs> and well, a cat walking through. Sorry. Yes. OT networks are hugely complex, right? And the problem <laughs> is they live a lot longer than our IT counterparts. So when you buy something, uh, you know, a switching pump, you, you expect it to be in there for 10 to 30 years. Now, you don't expect a Windows laptop or machine or server to last even a fraction of that, right? Mm -hmm. And so you've got a lot of legacy in the OT environments. And when you're talking about RTOS runtime operating systems, these are often very custom, dedicated to the hardware and configuration of the system. Very difficult to attack, but once you attack it, once you figure out that, that solution, it's reproducible. So there is a whole different level of complexity when you talk about OT cybersecurity and networks. In addition, because you have to, they're all connected to IT networks as well, mm -hmm. in addition to the IT network. So it's, it's an entirely different conversation. And if somebody has opened an external security gate, that's the last of your worries, to be honest. You need to worry about somebody opening a chemical valve somebody going in and tampering with the water supply or configurations of chlorine in there, right? Or, uh, you know, I used to work at Intel, these massive factories, you know, five times as big as the, you know, stadium. It's basically a chemical plant, right? Creating computer chips. Well, if you mismanage those chemicals, really bad things happen to 20 block radiuses, so it's not necessarily the security gate on the outside that we should be worried about. It's the health and safety issues that so, really come become profound. 
with so i say that I, I say the security gate for the fact that anyone can walk in and not all the, the systems are password protected and things like that so you can walk in and do some some damage right so i i think um that the community can help put put attention to some of these things and some cities are doing it better than others so speaking of uh 20 block radius being damaged uh george platzis has joined us <laughs> what an introduction wow <laughs> hi george good to see you <laughs> uh, welcome. Well, like, how, do you, how do you feel pushing five <laughs> block radius so the only I, clearly my contribution is making this a three by three square because you that's guys right. I feel symmetrical now. I appreciate that. I brought the symmetry here to it. So uh, thank you all, and apologies for the delay. Uh, Sean, I don't know if there's a question there. If you just want me to pick up in the middle of usual, like coming into a DJ set and just like a, a transfer. Yeah, just, so what do you want? Up, play pick, something. Pick up the spin. Start. Start with the uh, read. Read the label on the center of the. Center of the wax, if you would. Who? No, no. Joined? We use white. We use white labels. That's where I came from. We didn't know what you were playing. <laughs> just throw it on. Hope for the best. All right. Well, let's we'll follow that too. Who? Who do we get today? Yeah. Just uh, yeah. Who you are and what you're up to, George. So folks. Well, uh, thank you, Sean. Name is George. George Platzis. I've uh, focused most of my life these days in cybersecurity. Uh, in private consulting right now. My background is interdisciplinary. Started really much as an entrepreneur and then kind of started going down these rabbit holes uh, through the business continuity space, specifically through disaster and emergency management. So kind of bringing this all together as Matt's saying, yeah, you got their technology and then you got your blast radiuses. So uh, there's some law work in there. There was uh, working in different parts of the world, but we're well into this. So people don't want to hear about me. They want to hear our insights. So let's go into that and people can check out the bios after. Yeah. Very good. Do you, do you have anything burning in your mind from, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to say from the, the tail end, and apologies um, if this sounds out of junk from what uh, Matt was saying, it, these threats that we're, we're going to face, that we have been facing, really are of a hybrid nature. And you cannot look at them in silos. I'm going to go back to the disaster emergency management training that I had. It's one of the greatest challenges in thwarting these threats is everyone's kind of focused to their in their own little discipline. And I can tell you when I was doing the business continuity work about 15 years ago, like really I was looking at like what's best practice. And I think we can apply this to like cybersecurity right now. And there was a lot of pushback on the best practice because it's like, well, this is too big of an issue. You know, you really want to focus on this area of business continuity. And therein, I think, lays, uh, lies the problem that if you're just looking at one sliver of the problem, if you're looking at a goal as opposed to the entirety of the system, you're going to miss this. So, Matt, to your point, you could be really focusing on these OT, IT spaces, but what are you doing about the insider? What are you talking, doing about, I think, Yolanda, you were mentioning this, sorry if I miscarriage, someone that just walks into there, but also has not only the knowledge from the technical side, but what that entire system, system can do. Like you're walking into a chemical plant. So how do you get, get through this? You know, you do need some of these multi-stakeholder discussions. You don't want to go overboard because then it just turns into a committee that gets nothing done. But 
stop looking at these issues in isolation and realize there are not only first and second degree consequences, it's those third, fourth, and fifth degree consequences that I think we're missing because people aren't really sitting down and planning out what could happen. How's that for an intro? Did I did I That's do at least ten, did I do at least ten miles of a blast? <laughs> so so George, I mean I'm 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 always cognizant of the insider. That's that's actually where I started my career is going after the insider. So they, they have insider? a special place in my heart. But I I do hear people, you know, be concerned. Oh, well, we're worried about the insiders to do all these complex hacking. And honestly, I think it's a red herring, right? If it's an insider, they have trust to begin with. They don't have to do complex hacking. Correct. Right? They can do simple social engineering or just use the credentials that they, they can were pull given. The plug. Yeah, it's the path of least resistance. Rarely, rarely do we have an insider go out and actually create technical exploits and deploy them. And usually in those cases, it's because a nation state is backing them and there's other, you know, wheels turning. So what is the that USB key? That's right. They, I need to plug, plug this in, in, right? That is the nature of their issue right there. Someone else has given them the technical link. Yes. And yes. they know where to insert that into the system. But those are the rare cases, right? If you want to take down, you know, a nuclear <laughs> spinning centrifuges in a nuclear production right. facility, right? Very rare. Most of the insiders, they tend to be doing it either because they're mad at their boss or their company, right? Or they're greedy. They want they want to steal something. It's it's uh, really you, a case of embezzlement. Matt, do you know the the acronym MICE? MICE. Uh, Money, ideology, compromise, ego. The primary mm -hmm. methods or, or reasonings behind threat actors' uh, motivation. Yes. So mm -hmm. if, you, if you're interested, go take a look at the TARA methodology, Threat Agent Risk Assessment, where we use the Threat Agent Library uh, that was developed years ago that looks at the methodology and archetypes of different cyber attackers. So yes, very, very similar to that. I think I'm I agree a lot it. with what George was okay. saying. I, I think there's a lot of times when we get too focused and and... I will say, so a lot of the demographic of companies that I'm working with, which are small, medium enterprise, they hear a lot about the threats that are coming out and everything. I said, there's nothing new about that group that hasn't already been done by six other groups. And you still don't have multi-factor authentication on your email on the internet. Like, stop caring about that stuff, right? Like, like, like the news and the noise, if it's... If it's something interesting to me, it's because I'm seeing something there that I haven't seen before that we're not already supposed to be defending against. Those are the ones I care about. But otherwise, I think, you know, like a good security program that has a decent number of layers in the places where the most common attacks occur is still not in reach of a lot of organizations. They Not because they can't, but because they haven't pursued it, right? And I would just love to get people to that hump. And I love working with clients who know that they need to get there and they're um they want to get there they just don't know how um and I, I i wish there were 10 times as many organizations that were at least in that mindset because we'd be a lot further along but and, and then like tying into that insider threat i think a lot of the things that we put in place that are mainly if you think about them for from a, like an inside control things that help people from making mistakes um, DLP is, I think is especially in this category, but other, you know, like anti-malware and things like that. Right. Like I, I clicked on the thing, crap, I didn't mean to, right. Like that's 90% of it. I sent the thing to the wrong person. Now I've leaked data. 
so many of those controls that we put in place actually help our insider threat program because when you see people trying to do weird things that are trying to bypass the controls that help them not do bad things, then you've got detectable <laughs> detectable signals that they're up to something. But um, anyway, that that's my my little rant on just get the basics out of the way, yeah. please. Yeah, for criminal hackers, it still comes down to what's what's the easiest, and it still is phishing. Yes. I mean, it hasn't changed for the last decade. Yeah, and uh, cyber hygiene is still you know, it's still poor on most companies, so um, they don't have to go to a lot of elaborate uh, activities to to breach. Often they could just send a, an automated uh, phishing attack and get in. Wetware well, attacks are so much easier than hardware or software attacks. <laughs> yeah, this this sounds like yesterday stuff to me. I, I want to well, get a little okay. wacky. Okay, so, so Sean, well, I, now we're gonna have AI do it for us. There we go. Yeah, we're gonna have AI. Right? <laughs> exactly. AI taking care so, of all the basic. So I'm, if we look to 2024. Sorry, I think well, I think one one of one of the terms I was gonna offer was if we are gonna look to 2024. Even though it might feel like we're going back in time in a little bit, it feels wrong of me not to mention the word election. And I think there's going to be some interesting activities around elections that we might need to be uh, cognizant of. And I don't think it's necessary in the traditional uh, disruption of voting machines or anything like that. It's going to be in the information space and seeing seeing increased activities around that space and, and seeing how organisations respond. Uh, threat actors taking advantage of... Um, political processes to aim to protect the election process actually being exploited with information gaps, information noise blocks. Um, and I think we're going to have an interesting year with elections in the UK. I think a certain other nation might be having an election and God knows who's going to be running for that. But, uh, um, you know, I think there'll be a few interesting conversations from uh, information security in the broadest sense perspective around it as well. Ralph, uh, I, I want to tie something in that you just said right there and with Chuck and uh, to put my brother Chuck on the spot since we've, we've been doing this together for a while, for many years. I think, Chuck, both you and I have seen, and uh, I'm going to be presumptuous and say many on this call, we have been talking about the same basic issues for probably about a decade, if not longer. So we are still failing at the basics. There's this, uh, I think, one of the biggest disservices, I've said this before in the past, about the cybersecurity industry is that early in its inception, it became mystified. And because it was mystified, everyone thinks it's big and ooh and scary. It's like, no, there are basics that need to be addressed. And we have not addressed those basics. And that's why we keep on coming back and back to this. Now I'm going to pile on to what you were saying, Rob, which I, I agree the information space is going to be an issue from 2024 onwards. It's We have these foundational basic issues that we have not addressed now pile on a whole bunch of information that we cannot rely on. And it's not because it's necessarily the truth or a lie or partially. It's just there's so much, there's so much noise that it's into an overload phase. So take a rocky foundation and pile on a whole bunch of noise. I think that's what we're going to see for the immediate future. And a potential fear of mine is that we are going to we're going to outsource the trust that we have. Like we're going to say, well, we're going to get an AI to look into this. Well, why should we trust the AI? You know, this is, I still think this is the best computer and the best filter we have. But the minute we start outsourcing that trust to somewhere else, I think it's just going to be more noise upon more noise. And it's just at some point it's, it's going to collapse in on itself. Uh, a, a few years back, and I'll finish with this, I think, 
from people were talking about all the different strategies and the layers that you could add on there. My biggest concern was, can you trust the data that you are looking at for malicious or non-malicious, or can you trust it? And I think we're getting to that point where it's like, even from non-malicious, it's like, can you trust it? So use this. This is like, this is still the best computer. I'm still of the mind of that. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. You want to go ahead, Yolanda? I was going to say, the trust word was going through my head, you know, probably last 10 minutes. And that's going to be something people don't want technology because they don't trust it. But then we need the technology, but we still don't trust it. And so how do we get to a point that we can actually trust the technology and the technology is moving pretty rapidly out there? It is a hard hard problem. And you're correct. We've had this problem forever. <laughs> and I used to call it a bowl of spaghetti. We had something and then we just patch and we patch and we patch on top. And it's all of these little things all over the place. And we still have it. And so Let, less how do we get more. to trust? I, I, I advocate that on occasion. Less is more. Yeah. Like, you know what? Yeah. Get rid of the spaghetti and get some different type of macaroni product that's easier. <laughs> yes. If you want to secure elections, let's just go back to paper ballots and, and forget the digital and have them, uh, you know, I think that's, you know, always been reliable. Uh, no mail and just go and vote unless you have an absentee ballot and have one paper ballot. Otherwise, there's always going to be a, a mistrust by one side. Uh, I want two. I want two ballots. Okay. Yeah. But I think it's going to be much more into the space beyond the paper ballot. I think that's what's really interesting. Seeing what happened with the Macron election in France and seeing how, you know, they had the dump and or hack and dump activities. We're going to see so much more mischievous activity. That even if it is just a paper ballot, I don't have the confidence in the people knowing that they're ticking the right line in the ballot. That's the challenge for me. Yeah, the butterfly ballot. And well, yes. they, if they don't know how to get in the right line anyway. <laughs> so, Sean, what are you going to say uh, on trust, Kat? I'm interested. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'll take the opposition point here. Um, I'm actually less worried. There has been so much fear and concern and so much focus and litigation that I think moving forward in, in the 2024 elections, there is going to be an overabundance Right. Just because they predict there's going to be all sorts of lawsuits and issues and bad people are going to try and do things. Um, it's in times like that where security is actually best because you're on your highest alert. You're preparing for litigation right? <laughs> and you're putting your foot forward and there's justification to be able to spend the money on security. So when you have those kinds of combinations and you have that awareness, you tend to be most secure. So I'm, I'm actually less worried about it beyond the normal things. I don't know where I'm going to stand in line or things like that. I mean, that that's always been a problem. I, if we want to get back to it, fine. Let's cast valets like the Spartans did with colored stones. Sure. Um, but I'm, that's one of the areas that I'm actually less worried about in 2024 elections. So to follow up, Sean, what we should actually focus on for 2024 I think 100% it's going to be a shifting of um, reputation, but not reputation based on marketing because of the amount of, just to like Rob and everyone else's point, the amount of disinformation that's gone into Facebook events and all of like news, everything, um, and even our non-traditional ways to consume data and news events that are even happening right now. Like there's a ton of disinformation and it's almost at the point where 
now I've even watched myself and I could see this for everybody else where you're like, well, what company do I know actually cares about privacy? I'm just going to go with them. Well, what company do I know that actually does their due diligence and does 30 third party vendor management, or they do open source review before they adopt the tool into their networks. So I feel like now we're actually going to be moving into where it's actually a managing of trust and less so about all of the technology requirements of AI to your point, we kind of can trust it and it's been verified. Yeah, actually, I wrote a, well, myself and AI wrote an article <laughs> about, uh, about the collective where we all have a role to play. Now I put it out in 2050, probably too far. I think it happens sooner. I don't know if it happens in 2024, but I think we all have a role to play in, in validating who we are, what we're saying, what our systems generate, our, how decisions are made, what attacks are taking place. I, I think somehow we as individuals come together in some way, leveraging this data and this technology to help each other uh, combat or protect, protect ourselves from each other. Um, so I, I think it all starts with trust, but I think we have to, yeah, it's going to take more than a single entity. It's going to take all of us, right? I think that's my perspective anyway. I think that trust and we have a whole generation is... now that's getting in their news on TikTok. Uh, and how are we going to stop that? I mean, they, they trust TikTok. They don't, and, and that is just, you know, no wonder they have crazy views and love Bin Laden. I mean, it's just nuts. You know, maybe it's not about stopping it, but and maybe it's about, you know, seeing it and witnessing it and hearing it with your own eyes. It's like, having that critical thought about it. It's like, if I do see something, you know, should I take that at face value or should I question it? I'm going to go back to my academic days. And one of the best professors I ever had, uh, had, had a rule said, uh, I'm going to paraphrase here. I'm not going to get exactly, but it was take everything I say to be a lie. And he was really one of the best professors because it was like, challenge what I tell you. Do not tell, do not take what I'm telling you as the authority, as the professor, as truth. Go out there and find out if this is real. I think yeah. if we can instill that sort of discipline, uh, and I'm sure we all do that in our daily lives. It's like we seek out, is this real? And, and again, going back to the best computer we have, trusting this. Yeah. Well, the they, real failure... Oh, go ahead. I think that's a double-edged sword. Um, and and I'm going to put out there critical thinking skills, absolutely, 100%. But it needs to be balanced with trust because I, I think the other thing we've seen is a huge amount of erosion in trust in institutions um, and, and large organizations. And, and some of it very rightly deserved for that trust to be eroded. Um, but the flip side is if we question absolutely everything, if we assume that we are to be the expert to know whether the people who are in charge of X really know what they're doing. And then instead of, you know, looking at what we're capable of, because of, we can't boil the ocean, right? We got to put some trust out there somewhere, right? So then we go and find like these pockets of people who are telling us about how we can't trust this. And we it, like, this is a big problem with the misinformation, right? It's not like people just flip a switch and they're one day like way out in left field and, and have lost all touch with reality. It steps down these paths and their trust is misplaced. Um, and, and, and 
I think that's a huge issue too, right? The critical thinking is the one piece. We got to know how to ask the questions, but we also know how to have to know how to find reliable sources for answers. And I think that's a huge piece. People are great at asking questions. We have a whole lot of Hollywood that teaches us how to ask questions and be a renegade. And like, if you look at all the superhero movies now, practically, they're all like lone rangers who like they're beating the system, right? But we got to, like the systems aren't all broken. <laughs> Some of them do work. In fact, many of them it's, kind it's of, you hard, know, 80% work. <laughs> it's a hard question to know where to trust, right? Before we had the, you know, chat GPT blow everything up and change our worlds. You know, people used to ask, where can I get trusted information, right? Like news, um, news um, stations are owned by private companies and, you know, it, that have their own agendas. And so where can I get trusted information when it's happening? And it's a hard, it's a, it's a hard um, question to answer. I used to say, well, if it has an AP on it, right, then, then it was, you know, looked at by peers and then it got a registration number, but that could be hacked and, and modified and, and, you know, all of those things. So, it is a problem. How can you get trusted information and know that it's the truth? Well, George kind of said that when a professor that knows his things is going to tell you, take what I say, but also go inform yourself somewhere else. So you can't just choose something because even the most trusted news is still going to come with biases. Mm -hmm. So from where I come from, political science and, and mass media before the internet, so I've been there a little bit, you can tell from my beard. Uh, it was like you read three newspapers, one from the left, one from the right, one from the middle. It's a lot of job. It's a lot of work, and people don't want to do it. They want somebody that says, this is what it is. So it's great that we pick the most trusted source, but maybe there isn't a necessarily 100% trusted source. So you know, I thought it was going to be a jolly get together, but with cybersecurity people, this is going to be. <laughs> what a downer. <laughs> I'm going to throw what another wacky. Here, man. I thought we were talking about cybersecurity. I blame Chuck there. I'm pointing at that. There you go. <laughs> blame Chuck. How about, another, how about some good idea. news, John? Good news. Let's end with new, good news. We'll end with good news, but I'm going to have a quick, quick chat. I'm, I'm going to start on the good news on the cybersecurity side since Mark right. said. Uh, I think that we're going to see this continued cross pollinization of security and privacy go a little bit more mainstream. And because of that, I think you're going to see number one, people more concerned with privacy, and in turn, see that sort of investment into security. The driving factor may be that there's more regulation, that there's more fine, there's more fear of consequence. But I think when, if we start to see those two windows or two circles kind of overlap, I think uh, that's gonna be some good news for the cybersecurity and the data privacy spaces. Yeah, and I would tack on ethics to that as well. Yeah. So you've got digital yes. ethics and and AI. We get back to AI again. That is really kind of spurred a lot of the ethical discussions, which I think is mm -hmm. great. Um, but yeah, I think in in twenty twenty four, I would actually say the regulations 
that are coming into effect are probably going to have some of the biggest positive outcomes. Now, people are worried, right? Organizations are worried I have to follow these things. How the heck am I going to do it? But it's going to force them to get to another level of effectiveness and efficiency. And so when you look at the SEC ruling, hey, if you have a material breach, you have to report it in four days instead of four months or four years, right? Um, you've got something similar on the EU side. We've got uh, AI, right? AI regulations in Europe and EU just got passed. Uh, this is going to force organizations to step up, be more transparent uh, to the benefit of their shareholders. And I think that's going to trickle down even into the private sector. So this is a forcing function that basically was, hey, industry, you couldn't self-regulate yourself and you were doing really bad things and trying to hide even worse things. Now we're going to hit you with regulations. And I think the covers are going to get pulled back and there's going to be a lot of cockroaches and rats scurrying for cover, which sucks, but it's also really healthy long-term for our industry. 2024 is where that starts. Look for the cockroaches, baby. Wearing, wearing pants? <laughs> I don't know. Yolanda, some good news. And from that, I think we'll see a lot of uh, public-private cooperation in a new level, exactly from what you're saying, because it, it they have to, the private sector has to. And I think one of the areas that be, uh, we didn't touch on, but you mentioned with space, I think that we've neglected it as a critical infrastructure. And I think uh, after the the Russian hacking of the Ukrainian Viasat satellite, to be much more attention paid to the the, the communications and sensing uh, that is up there that's determining everything we do. And we're going to look to fortify um, uh, that that space uh, world in the next year. Nice one. Yolanda, some good news? Um, I guess to echo what Matthew was saying, I'm excited by the transparency that will be coming out in 24. And so, um, you know, things were being done and we didn't know how it was being done. So to be able to have insight into what's being done and to influence, to be able to say that's wrong, this is right, this needs to be adjusted, um, where we never had that insight before. Um, it's going to be better overall for all of us. And I'm also looking forward to um, technology and, and humans partnering, right? And so I will say I'm going to jump on that bandwagon and get the EV with the technology out there to test it all out. And how are we going to partner on these roads together? Um, and I see that coming, right? Um, people are scared of technology taking over, but I think that technology and humans should be partners. And so I'm advocating and looking forward to that. Rob, good news. You got none. I'm not sure if it's, I'm, I'm not sure if it's good news for 2024, but I think <laughs> one of the things I like about the community that we exist in is how it comes together and supports each other. And I think there's not many other communities like this and that it doesn't matter what the challenge, it doesn't matter the hurdle. We might not be perfect and we're still grappling with doing the basics right 10 years later, but actually the number of initiatives where I see people encouraging others, mentoring, bringing people in and giving them you know, scholarships to come to conferences to learn from the best. And I think we're only going to see more of that effort in 2024 to bring our community on, to accelerate the learning of others, bring the early stage career talent in and through. And for me, it might sound cheesy, but I think that's one of the positive things about being involved in this community is seeing how we support each other. And I think that's only going to continue in 2024. At least I hope it does. Love it. Love it. Laura. Uh, you know what? I, I, 
and we haven't talked about cloud at all. What happened? I mean, <laughs> um, so I think my positive for 2024, um, every startup I'm working with pretty much at this point, and I'm seeing this more and more with uh, digital transformation, they're taking advantages of services that are starting to decouple the layers. So when you're, they're building their applications, they're making use of services that are provided to them as is. And so the underlying infrastructures can be maintained at appropriate secure levels by the providers of those services. And the applications are no longer the lynch to like, like the, the sticking point to being able to keep the underlying infrastructure secure. And, and, and then not only that, but the, you know, the networks that are being used for day-to-day -day activities like email and browsing the internet, where we know like that's a huge entry point for risk are completely decoupled now from where the services are being run. And, and yes, there are, there are limited gateway opportunities between them, but they're limited. They're not on big open networks anymore where everybody's just doing whatever. So um, I, I'm, I'm optimistic in 2024 that continues on and we're seeing more of that happening. And then and the service providers are continuing to push that as well to, to make that decoupling of the application layer and the services that people use from what we need to do to secure it. Very cool. And Kath, some good news, please. I mean, I can tell you that Miter's got like interest in all these and it's like working on open source projects for this stuff. That's about like exciting as it gets, right? Um, but I would say as far as trends go, um, I'm gonna like third or 14th, the what everyone else has said regarding the community. Um, the really nice thing about this, like the cybersecurity community, community today um, is that we were kind of like when our field started, we were the IT guys that had a hobby. And like now we're a full on field with different like with an actual like a CISO role. And we're realizing the CISO role is too much for one person. So then we're creating other teams underneath them. And then even identity and access management, like there's they're starting to actually break out into like true problem sets. And I definitely see the evolution of that continuing where we start to get even more granular with how we need to be able to like have open source projects in review. But I would also say, I think that's one reason why we always go towards open source projects. Cause that's the, the non-biased one, right? Like it's the company that's, that doesn't have a stake in it because you're just giving back to the community. Here's a tool for you to be able to figure out like if you have anything in your code and it's like, everyone just uses it. Um, and I love that part of our community because it's usually security professionals that are writing these tools and releasing them for free. Like Patrick Roll is a great example. His tools on Mac OS do better than, I can't officially say that actually. Um, so we'll just say they do a really great job compared to what I've seen in the market today. And it's free, you know, and that's, and then you see other nonprofits spinning up to be able to bring people into our field in this very welcoming and warm way where we're helping them develop real world skills and not expecting them to necessarily pipe into our company. We're just doing it because we wanna lift them up and raise the tide. So I love that that's where our community has not only been, but they're also continuing to grow and expand in. Yeah, it's fantastic. And we see that in, in the likes of Sector and Black Hat with the, with the arsenal where tools are, are developed and presented, not for commercial purposes, right? They're there to help learn and educate and actually use, be used. So I think now we were left with two good news stories, one from the cockroach, one from the rat. 
do you want to hear <laughs> hear from first? <laughs> oh, let's go. Which one do you want to be, Mark? I'll put it there. Oh, they, they both seem really appealing and, and yummy. <laughs> so I don't know. You, 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 you give me one. Give I'll, me one I'll, I'll label you as as the cockroach, and I'll be the uh, the New York right. rat. How's that? You said that cockroaches play the, the the blues and the jazz. Yes. The okay, I can yeah, be that. Do that. No, one. I I don't know. I mean, I I made the joke before because. It's hard to talk about cybersecurity and be all positive and jolly. And I'm thinking I'm going to go on chat GPT maybe and ask him to write a, some kind of like a carol for the cybersecurity community. We'll see what it comes out with. But it's, it's, the, it's the job of the community. And I, I agree with all of you. I'm going to bring the community. Uh, it came a long, a long way from when I started to go at RSA and Black Hat uh, many years ago. Not as many as you guys probably or Sean for sure. But uh, I, my hope and my, and I think my prediction is that now that the community is strong, with AI, everybody talking about it, the European community just come out with the AI Act, and people are listening at these stories. So I hope it's going to start bleeding into educating, really, the users. And by the users, I talk about the business people, the people on the board, and it's not just that shaman community of we have the knowledge and you have to listen to us but we're all collaborating outside the community as well so a larger community maybe and and i think it's impossible not to go there um, because everybody's talking about it so that's the cockroach good news all right thank you thank you mr roach and uh so for me i'm i'm gonna be a little selfish um because i the, this thing keeps going around in my mind that we have an opportunity to create business better. Um, and I think there's a voice in the community that I don't know, I haven't seen or heard much of it. And it, to me, it's a security architect. And some of you may have seen me post about this, but I, I think we have an opportunity and I think it will happen in 24 and I'm going to do my darndest to uh, to make sure that happens, that the security architect has a voice for how we actually build business from the start and select the, the cloud and the data center and the, and the infrastructure and the, and the containers and, and build apps and all that stuff in a way that actually makes business safe from the start. So um, that's that's my positive news that I think some of that starts to happen. And we we uncover some good stories where businesses are more resilient from the get go, and um, I think I think uh, from a tech perspective, I think platform engineering will be a big part of that. So I, another prediction is I think we'll see an uptick in platform engineering in twenty four, where we find some of these best practices and and technologies and open source and and they come together in a way that. Uh, it gives us a nice foundation to work from instead of a chaotic piece of crap that, uh, that we have today. So anyway, that's my, uh, my positive news as a, as a rat. <laughs> my, the positive news is that we have an hour and 10 minutes of really good open conversation. We're lucky as ITSP magazine and, and then showing your podcast about cybersecurity. So you have, you know, so many friends, again, in the community have an opportunity to have this conversation, reach 
a lot of people out there they hopefully they enjoy and they will have some thoughts that they can leave in the comments wherever they're watching or listening to this and uh, we are ready for more of this i will have one i think if i can put it together on uh, generative ai and society so if some of you want to join me on that side uh, <laughs> You can be you can be negative there too if you want. Join join the roach in the, in the society. <laughs> well, always great to see everybody. It is. Uh, I'm super grateful for everybody taking the time to uh, to participate and and have a good old chat. And as we said at the beginning, get people to think. Right. So, thanks everybody for listening, for watching. If you had the uh, uh, the opportunity to to see uh, Mr. Roach and Mr. Rat in action. And all of our all of our friends. Uh, now we're gonna leave. Sure, be sure to share, subscribe, uh, and uh, think and participate. If you have an idea you want to talk about, let us know. Cat, Yolanda, George, Laura, Rob, Matthew, Chuck, Marco. I guess myself as well. Thank you all. <laughs> see you. Uh, see Thanks, R and R. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Pleasure. Bye. Take care. Take. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP mag 24.